Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone. This is Raise Your Voice as part of the D-Rays Bay Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford, and joining me on this week's episode, he's famously known as at Rays Metrics on Twitter, and he's recently joined D-Rays Bay. He's already made one appearance on Raise Your Voice. Once again, on the show, it's Cole Mitchum. Hey, Brett. How's it going? Glad to be back for round two. Yeah, good. You're making the podcast rounds. You already did Raise Your Voice. I saw you did an episode of Raise the Roof. Now back on on Raise Your Voice because even though we're in the midst of the lockout, the content on D-Rays Bay, you've put out a ton of great stuff this winter. And on Twitter, uh, now we're really diving into prospects because that's really all there is to talk about. It, it's been it's been kind of great. Again, I talk about how great of a follow you are on Twitter, but it's keeping my, my hunger up for baseball when even there's a doubt that the season's going to start on time. Yeah, I appreciate it. The lockout's been tough on on all of us, just kind of digging for all any news we can get, especially I believe the, the NBA trade deadline was today. So it's just tough to see basketball news where all us baseball fans are starved. Yeah, I mean, I think we saw like before the lockout, we saw those like flurry of deals just kind of right. getting right before everybody knew we were headed towards the lockout. I'm starting to think like when this lockout's lifted, when there's an agreement made and it could be soon, it might not be soon, but we're going to see a lot of deals that maybe there were gentlemen's agreements, maybe there was some tampering going on, maybe these teams were talking behind closed doors. It wouldn't shock me if like day one lockout lifted, we get a bunch of breaking news, which would be exciting, but for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, that's going to be interesting when the lockout's lifted. I'm not sure if like teams are going to be hesitant to like wait a day on some of these moves or or what's happening, you know, because if a trade or a signing goes through, you know, what's stopping them from just saying like, "Oh, we got 99% of the way there before the lockout." Yeah. You know, and then and then it hits. So, I don't know, maybe some teams will get a little fussy, some agents or something. We may see some some backlash from some different parties, but it'll be it'll should be a lot of action in a short period of time. It'll be exciting. Yeah, ultimately, I don't know if these teams will have the time to be able to wait more yeah, than a day, right? right? Like, w- w- once this thing is lifted, like, spring training is supposed to be starting, you know, scheduled soon, so there's a lot of unsigned free agents. There's a lot of trade rumors that I'm sure we'll continue to discuss throughout the offseason as we head into what's supposed to be spring training, but on today's episode, I want to focus on prospects like i said it's all we've been able to really talk about for these non-40 man guys they're still expected to report to spring training there's still games on the schedule god forbid this lockout continue well into march we're gonna see a you know full uh sets of non-roster guys taking the field for spring training and you know that, that would be a lot of fun for those guys but we'd all love to see the major league guys back in camp and a lot of uh, outlets have been releasing their top 100 prospects we're still waiting on a few mlb.com fan graphs um, hasn't released their raise list yet but looking at some of these top 100 lists where some of them good amount of raise one or two seem to leave a bunch off Let, let's jump into it 
the guy who has become the Rays' top prospect unanimously. I haven't seen any outlet list another player above him. We saw him debut in the major leagues last year. We saw him start game two or was it game two or game three? Game two of the ALDS. Uh, that's Shane Boz, right? Acquired in that that Pirates trade, that the last piece that, I don't know, maybe even some people forgot about with how well Tyler Glass now and Austin Meadows have been doing for the Rays over the last few years. Shane Boz quickly making his way up through the minor league system in 2021 was just an incredible year for his career. He pitched in three different levels, including the big leagues, but he also went over to Japan and pitched in the Olympic Games, won a silver medal with Team USA. And first, before we dig into where he kind of sat on these prospect lists, what were your opinions on Shane Boz? And I'm sure they were. you're going to have a glowing review for him. But what were your opinions on him? Were you shocked to see him kind of progress as quickly as he did? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I want to say that I was shocked because um, it feels like we see it all the time with, with Rays and pitching prospects in particular. So many guys take, take huge leaps forward all the time in the system. Um, but, you know, I, I will say that he definitely – he definitely took steps forward that I don't think anyone would have really projected. You know, he, he threw strikes at a level that he has never shown before in the big leagues. That was kind of always the biggest knock on him um, coming through the system as a prospect. Like, will he be able to, to throw enough strikes to stay a starter? And I think he answered every single question and then some in, in 2021. And when the beautiful thing about him getting to the major leagues is that we could really see him his arsenal um, in action and play against major league hitters. And there's even some um, stack cast data that is available when you make it to the major leagues that you don't have in the minors, or at least it's not publicly available when players are in the minors. So it really spoke to just so many fascinating aspects of his repertoire. There's velocity, there's great stuff. There's pitch movement. There's a deep four pitch arsenal. And I mean, from what we saw, it looks like he can throw all four pitches for strikes like reasonably well. I mean, I don't, I don't really see, I don't see much of a, a cap to his ceiling, to be honest. Like this guy has every, every makings of you could possibly look for to be an ace um, moving forward. You know, it's, it's always hard putting a, a kind of a label on somebody like that, but I mean, Shane Boz has, has it all in my opinion. So it's going to be a blast watching him develop. We talked a lot about, Going from 2019 to 2020, where all these minor leaguers, we know Shane Boz was involved at the alternate training site, but a lot of these guys just losing a whole year, a whole season of games, a whole season of development. What would that do for some of these players? Shane Boz pitched in his age 20 season at A-ball, and while the stuff was still there, like you said, struggled finding the strike zone, had a walk rate of over 10% in A-ball, right? You're facing a lot of kids. He was probably right around the right age for low A, sitting at 20, maybe even older than some of the guys that were there, though. Then all of a sudden comes out in 2021, and not only is he pitching at double A AA and triple A and putting up higher strikeout numbers, uh, like he went in, in, in how many starts in double A? It was seven starts in double A, striking out 40.8% of batters. That walk rate dropped to 1.7%. In those starts, he had, I've got it pulled up right here, 49 strikeouts and two walks. Looks like a completely different pitcher, but didn't lose anything on the velo. The stuff was still electric. He put up in in double A a two four eight ERA and a one eight six xFIP. Bump him up to triple A for ten more starts. What does he do? One seven six ERA. That strikeout rate stays at thirty six percent, so it goes down a little bit, but still an insane rate. And the walk rate still at six point two percent. Looks like the complete package. 
com- completely earned the call up in his age 22 season. We saw this is after he went to the Olympics. We thought that was a great opportunity for him and Joe Ryan to go represent Team USA. Joe Ryan, who was still a race prospect for some of those Olympic games, he was traded while he was in Tokyo. But we kind of thought Joe Ryan, Shane Boz, really great opportunity for them to go to the Olympics. But that probably means they're not going to pitch in the big leagues this year. And we thought that was okay. We're like, all right, you know, they still got another year left to develop. They both go, they both make their major league debuts when they come back for, for different teams. However, Shane Boz, the complete package in his, in his first few starts and then struggles in the postseason. It was one start. Uh, I'm sure the jitters were there. Maybe the Rays should have opted to keep him in the bullpen or use him in a different role. Uh, but ultimately, I think we've seen this guy just become the unanimous number one race prospect, including on some of these lists. We'll start with Keith Law, his list from The Athletic. Shane Boz coming in as the number seven prospect. Um, baseball prospectus, he was one of two Rays, and we'll touch on that in a little bit. One of two Rays in the top 100 comes in at number eight on their list. And then comes in at number eight on Baseball America. So I assume on all these other outlets that we're still waiting on, he's going to be a top 10 guy and one of, if not the best pitching prospect in the entire game. Yep, I uh, I, I 100% agree with you. And I thought that was an interesting point where you made about the, uh, the 2020 shortened season with no minor league ball. Because it's interesting to me, Shane Boss from 2019 to 2021 was two completely different pitchers. So I wonder if this kind of progression happened in 2020, but none of us really in the in the public uh, world really had much insight into it um, because it's always tough to know, like how much can you trust reports, you know, and, and whatnot and what you're reading on and different websites. But, you know, maybe the Rays this, this whole time were just like, we're just smirking it and they just knew how good he was, you know, coming through during the shortened season. And, and they were just waiting to unleash him in the 2021 year. Cause it, it was just night and day the way he was able to just pound the zone and just absolutely baffle hitters. So, uh, yeah, I, I completely agree. I think he's, he's the unanimous number one prospect in the system. And honestly, he, he has some of the highest ceiling among any prospect in the game right now. I mean, like this guy, the, the stuff that he has and the strikes that he's able to throw, I mean, I don't really see any reason why he can't develop into, into a potential ace. So we can just, with pitching prospects, there's always that added risk because of the, the elbow and the shoulder. So we just have to pray for a good bill of health for him. But, you know, I just, I just think that he's got all the arrows pointing up right now. Yeah, one more point on the alt site in 2020. You know, it sucked to not have a minor league season. You lose that full season of games. And for a lot of these players, that development is dependent on whether or not they're facing live pitching, they're in live game action. But you get this alt site where you've got this controlled atmosphere, right? You can work on developing, I think, specifically pitchers. You can work on certain pitchers. You've got the the, the same coaches working with these players for the entire time that they're at the alt site. Uh, you can manage their innings or their, their their workload on their arm a little bit more and still put them in semi-quasi-competitive situations like we know the Rays were doing. We've heard a lot of reports that it was extremely competitive. And you look at this Rays farm system, and it's no shock that you've got guys like Wander Franco and Vidal Brujan and Shane Boz and Josh Lowe down there competing with each other every single day. And so, yeah, I think maybe for Shane Boz and maybe for a lot of other prospects that we weren't expecting to develop as much as they did in 2020, teams getting a chance to work with them individually at the alternate site, not having them pitch in high A or or down with another coaching staff, you know, maybe a much better opportunity for certain prospects. So Shane Boz, uh, 
for 2022, do you expect him to start the year with the big league squad, or do you think maybe with the makeup of the staff right now, barring any injuries before the start of the season, that the best spot for him or the best spot the team thinks for him would be in AAA? It's, it's tough to say right now. I could honestly see it going either way. Um, I think that right now the Rays have like around seven-ish, maybe eight like like starting slash bulk pitchers. You know, they don't they don't always think of starters as as true like starters all the time. They they like to mix and match with their pitching staff, but they, I think they do have a number of guys, um, and not all of them will start with the big league club. So I think it's possible that he starts in AAA, but I really don't expect him to spend much time down there if he does. Um, it also wouldn't totally shock me if they did bring in like another veteran arm um, just to eat up innings in the, in the rotation. I don't know that they're necessarily going to do that because like I said, they do have a lot of options, but the thing is many of those options are extremely young um, pitchers with, without much major league experience. So, you know, we've seen it before the Rays, they prioritize just getting, getting innings under their belt, you know, kind of spreading the love. And, and I don't really think you'll see many of these young um Ray starters surpass 120, 130 innings um, throughout the whole year. I just think that they really care about stretching them out and keeping them healthy and, and making sure they can have as healthy of a group as they can as they enter the final stretch. So um, I'll, I'll say that he will make the team because I, I think that they they really like him that much. And if he doesn't, I don't think it's, it'll be a big deal. It'll probably just be a couple starts in AAA and then, uh, you know, first injury or, or something happens. And, and I think he'll be up pretty shortly. Yeah, it'll be interesting. You got to decide for a lot of these guys what their role will be. Drew Rasmussen, I think they have every intention of keeping him as a starter moving forward. Ryan Yarbrough, we saw, struggled down the stretch, didn't have a spot in the postseason rotation. Uh, Luis Patino, another guy that, like, what's his role going to be? Are they going to view him as a traditional starter? You think, you know, he was the centerpiece of that of that Blake Snell trade. Um, so yeah, a lot of still a lot of moving parts. Yanni Torinos, Brennan McKay. What can you expect, if anything, out of them? Um, so it wouldn't shock me if they go out with them. You didn't try to get another veteran arm, uh, but they've got Shane Boz waiting in the wings, and they might deploy him as early as the first week of the season. So let's move on to the next prospect that made uh, two of the three prospect lists that we're viewing today. And then again, that's the Athletic Baseball Prospectus and Baseball America, and that is Josh Lowe uh, coming in at number twenty-one on the Athletic does not crack the top 100 with baseball prospectus and comes in at number 44 in baseball America. So a lot more variance in terms of Josh Lowe. And I'm interested to see where he comes in in some of these other lists. But why do you think there's so much like inconsistency with where these outlets are, are ranking him? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And it's fair. He's, he's kind of been a divisive prospect his whole career um, Rays picked him in the first round years ago. Um, and he, he kind of struggled early, early on in his minor league career. And he kind of just slowly got better as he was promoted, which is kind of rare to see from a prospect. So he's handled the promotions really well. And, and he, he's definitely put together some really good minor league seasons. But I think the reason why there's so, so many differing opinions on him is, is probably is just comes down to the swing and miss in, in his uh, hitting profile. I think most outlets are going to agree that he's going to be able to play center field. He's athletic enough. He's got the arm. He's got the speed. He's got the, the range. And I think that because of that, he will be a big leaguer for, for multiple years. You know, he's got a decent floor on him um, because he's athletic and, and he's also got really good power and a really good eye at the plate. So, you know, there's tools there, like there, there are big league tools, you know? So I think he'll stick around in the majors for a while, but 
what's ultimately going to decide on, on how much of an impact player he is, is, is the swing and miss. Cause I believe his strikeout weight was up, up over around 25% in triple a this year. Um, so if he gets promoted, if that kind of creeps up to 30 or above, you know, it, it's kind of difficult to stay a productive hitter with a strikeout rate that high, unless you've got, you know, just some absurd power or something, but you know, if he can kind of hover it in the 25% range and, you know, keep taking the walks and keep, you know, popping home runs and pull side home runs and stuff like that with, with solid defense, you know, he should, he should be a, a pretty good player. And one, one last point I want to touch on him is his strikeout rate has actually like, like I mentioned earlier, he's kind of played better as he's gone through the minors. His strikeout rate has kind of stayed stable or even improved as he's gone through the minors too, as he's faced better pitching throughout the minors, which is an interesting trend. So, you know, maybe there's this, maybe he's kind of just like slowly figuring it out. You know, he's got like a long lanky body. Maybe he's still really trying to figure out how to use it. And, um, you know, if, if he can continue to make those improvements as he gets to the major leagues, he's got a chance to be a, a really special player to impact the game uh, on both sides of the ball. I'm a little skeptical of the power. I know AAA, they were kind of using the uh, happy fun ball, the, the juice ball for some, if not all of the season. I don't really know. I know there were, it was kind of uncertain what baseball they were using in AAA, but did knock 22 home runs. The strikeout rate, yeah, it's a little bit of a concern. And the only one thing I'm kind of interested in to see if he gets a some sustained time in the big leagues this year. And I'm not sure where that's going to come. Maybe a Kevin Kiermaier trade opens up a spot for him. But that walk rate in AAA last year, 13%, is that plate discipline going to carry over to the big leagues? I'm interested. I'm not gonna. I'm not out on Josh Law. I'm sounding a little negative on him right now. I think he's a great prospect. Um, but the Rays have a very good outfield, right? That's why they've been the best team in the American League. Really, the last two years, they've got a stacked roster. It's hard to break into, and I don't know right now where the playing time exists for Josh Lowe. Come start of the season, maybe Kevin Kiermaier's moved. Maybe there's been some other pieces moved around. You think, oh, Josh Lowe, fourth outfielder. Josh Lowe, starting center fielder. It's not It's not impossible to think. I think he'd probably start over Brett Phillips. I might get some hate for saying that. I don't know. Like, I love Brett Phillips, but I don't know if he should be the starting center fielder for uh, a pennant contending team. Um, he's a great player to have. Don't get me wrong, but maybe Josh Lowe comes up and, and takes some of his playing time. And this is why I was kind of shocked that he wasn't listed on, on BP's top 100. I'm really shocked. I'm really interested to see like where he comes in on some of these other lists, MLB.com, where Fangraphs ranks him. I, I know on the D-Rays Bay community list, he comes in at number two. The five prospects we're going to talk about all came in in the top five for the D-Rays Bay community list. So there is some consistency here. Uh, but Josh Lowe getting left off of BP's top, actually it's their top 101. Like they listed 101 players and he didn't come in at all. Like you see guys like Garrett Mitchell for the Milwaukee Brewers come in. Like, I don't know. I think I'll take Josh Lowe over Garrett Mitchell. I'm looking at some of these other outfielders, Jairo Palmeiras from San Francisco, Jaron Duran. Like is, is Jaron Duran still going to be ranked high, higher than Josh Lowe? Personally, I disagree. But baseball prospectus, um, yeah, leaving him off. So let's move on to the next one. Uh, Vidal Brujan, again, another guy that had a little bit of playing time, got his cup of coffee in the big leagues this year. But another guy, because of how stacked this raised roster looks, where's he going to fit in? We know he's a bit of a jack-of-all-trades. Uh, he can play second, play short, play center. I think that might be the most likely spot for him. But we just listed all the guys that could play center field for the Rays this year. Brujan, 
doesn't have that much experience out there. He's got the tools to do it, but you want some somebody with some, some experience uh, covering center. But he comes in at number 39 on Keith Law's list on The Athletic, and he was the only other player from the Rays to um, clock in on the baseball prospectus list, coming in, though, at number 95. So he goes 39 in The Athletic, 95 on BP, and 56 on Baseball America. Vidal Bruhan, do you think his fit is with the Rays, or do you think if he's going to get big league playing time this year, it's going to have to be with another organization? Yeah, it's it's a good question because the Rays, um, both their infield and outfield situations are set up really nicely. There's they they've got a great group of a bunch of players with a bunch of different tools who can platoon with one another and they can mix and match. And um, I I think that they I think that they'll keep Bruhan around though. I think that. There is some really interesting things going on in his profile. Like you mentioned, his athleticism is great. He can play all over the place. And um, he his strikeouts and walk ratios are, are excellent. They always have been in the minors. He has great plate skills as a hitter. You know, it's going to kind of be a little bit of a question on how much power ever comes for him. Um, but like Lowe, he also has a pretty good big league floor, you know, because if it, if it never really clicks, he'll be able to stay in the majors as a, as a utility uh, type bat, you know, that's kind of like his floor. And if the power comes, I mean, the ceiling is pretty high for him too. Uh, you know, if he's ever, ever, ever able to get to a point where he's hitting 15, 20 home runs in big league seasons, I, I think that'll be a very valuable player. So I, I don't think I would expect them to, uh, to trade him or, or really move him. Um, for, for now, I mean, maybe if they're trying to make a big splash that he could be a logical, like, um, centerpiece in a, in a package. But as we know, the Rays don't have a huge history of packaging multiple prospects for, for major league talent. It, in fact, it kind of usually goes the other way um, when it comes to the Rays. So um, as for like expectations, I, I think Vidal Bruhan will be around and, and I'm excited for him. Um, I think that another interesting thing with him. So when he got called up with, to the big league team this year, he was actually up for just a short time. And that was mainly because Manuel Margot was hurt. Um, and he was kind of filling in, in a little bit of a weird role, like playing a lot of like right field and not, not much second base, which is his, been like his natural position growing up. So it, it was kind of interesting to see that because he has, um, routinely hit better as a left-handed hitter throughout his time in major, in the minor leagues, um, like much better than he has as a righty. So he struggled with left-handed pitching, um, and, as the replacement for Margot, Margot usually all starts the most of his games against left-handed pitching. So Bruhan was kind of slated in that role in which he was kind of set up for, like he wasn't set up for success in a way. So it was a really just a short-term plug-in. Um, so I really would not draw like any conclusions off how he looked in the big leagues or anything. But I think the um, because he's so much better as a left-handed hitter, it actually makes him a little bit more of an interesting prospect in my mind because the Rays are, they love to platoon and mix and match players like that. So the fact that he has like a really strong side and that side being the left side, which is the side that he'll use most often is interesting to me. And um, I could kind of see him maybe getting, uh, getting playing something like the Joey Wendell role that we saw over the last years where he just starts somewhere on the infield. Um, and he's just kind of mostly starts against right-handed pitching and he's able to help the team win as, as an athletic utility player like that. Yeah. I, I think he belongs here, you know, especially if a Kevin Kiermaier trade happens, he can act as another, you know, he's a utility man, really. That's, I think that's what he's going to be at the big league level. Not to say that he can't start 
anywhere, like whether it's the, with the Rays or somebody else. I think he's got that ability too. But he's for the twenty twenty two Rays, he's got this ability to fill in everywhere. I thought he looked overmatched last year when he got called up. But yeah, like you said, he had watched Taylor Walls get called up before him when maybe he was out playing him at Triple A. Obviously, Wander Franco is a completely different thing, but he gets called up, uh, you know, early in the season too. And so Bruhan kind of waiting for his opportunity gets it. You know, only twenty six plate appearances, only two hits in those plate appearances, no walks, but. His performance at the AAA level, I thought, just kind of continued his progression. We know he's a very good player. Uh, we know he has the ability to to, to be a, a good player at the big league level. So interested to see where he fits in. And again, another player where maybe the roster spot isn't there for him this second, but by the start of spring training or by the start of you know by opening day, maybe it will be for for a guy like Vidal Bruhan. Yeah, I agree. The because if you think about it, if Brandon Lau or Taylor Walls goes down with a minor injury or something, you know, he's, he's just the logical next man up. And um, I think that he's, his triple a success kind of indicates that he could, he he's deserving of, of at least a, a minor major league shot. And I think that, you know, the season is so long um, that it, it's, it's a good, it's a smart move to keep him around um, as a kind of depth piece for 2022. Yeah, like like a lot of Rays fans, you're you're so quick to, and I'm probably guilty of this too. Like, oh, let's put a package together for Jose Ramirez, and let's you know we can trade Vidal Bruhan. And we talk about all this Rays depth. If you start trading it away, like you look at the middle infielders behind him, you've got like Xavier Edwards. Do you trust him at the big league level next year? Probably not. Esteban Quiros, eh, probably not. You know, it's it's not as deep as as we want to believe. Um, it's still one of the best systems in baseball. Don't get me wrong, uh, but to have guys that are ready at the major league level. Vidal Bruhan, I think, is that, and it, I'd love to have him as a, as a depth piece this year. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and one more point on that. I think that it's actually interesting. They started playing Bruhan a little bit at shortstop um, in the minors last year, too. And I don't know if they'll really trust him to do that um, in the major leagues because it's relatively new for him. But if you look at the depth chart, the two there's really only like two shortstops in Tampa Bay who are major league ready. That's Wander Franco and Taylor Walls. So we know the Rays and we know that they're they're not going to only have two options at one position. So I kind of expect them to make a move for like a minor league signing, um, like a shortstop to play at Durham this year or something like that. Just as, as a little bit more depth in that area. That's a, that's one thing I'd be on the lookout as we as hopefully this lockout ends soon. We, we do have a question and I, I was going to make this a separate segment, but we've got a couple fan questions today and I think they're from our good friend Ben Whitelaw over from RBLR Sports and he asked a question about one of the shortstops and I think while we're talking about that shortstop depth right now let's let's go to it so Ben asks Alika Williams finished with a with last season with a 140 WRC plus in 51 plate appearances in September do you think his offense genuinely took a step forward as evident in that relatively small sample size if so how would he stack up against Ray's current shortstop depth so I think a perfect time to answer this question and call I'll let you kind of take a stab at it. Yeah, I, I, I love the question. Um, and I, I think that Alika Williams is a, is a very interesting prospect. He was taken in the competitive balance for a round yeah. right after the first round, I believe, in, in 2020. So relatively new to the system. And he, he really got his feet wet this year. I believe he played at a couple different stops. Went up to AAA um, for a little bit, too, I think, to fill in for injuries or call-ups. He, he got a, mm-hmm. a four games right, at AAA yeah. last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So overall, I don't think that um, I don't think his season was was great. He struggled with the bat a little bit. The power didn't really show up and he, he didn't come in as like a power hitter or anything. So it's not like he failed expectations, but he kind of came in as a, a slick fielding shortstop with good contact skills and, um, you know, 
uh, just a good up the middle player with some plate skills. And, and he did show some of those, but overall, I think he would probably even tell you that his first season was a little bit disappointing. Um, but it is like Ben said in his question, it is encouraging to see him kind of turn it around um, late in the year, but it, overall, I'm not sure I would like totally buy into that as him, like being a completely new hitter or anything. Um, it is still a relatively small sample. And in that sample that he, he mentioned, um, in September, the, the walks were still really low. He seems to be a, a really aggressive hitter and also a hitter that pitchers probably are, don't really have a lot of trouble kind of attacking right over the heart of the play because he doesn't possess so much power. So um, he's just, he's going to be a guy who, who doesn't walk a whole lot and who, who doesn't really hit for a ton of power, which is, it's an interesting profile, but it is one that can work. Um, and if he is, is able to hit balls at good angles, drive high BABIPs, and get on base that way and, and play up the middle defense at a really strong level, um, that's a guy who can move up the system. I, I think the Rays are happy to have him in the system um, as, as a slick fielding shortstop like that. So I'm interested to watch him uh, moving forward. Yeah, definitely. So moving on to the last two prospects that uh, were listed uh, on some of these lists. Uh, number 58 on Keith Law's top 100 is right-handed pitcher Taj Bradley. He did not make the baseball prospectus list as you know we mentioned only two players did. And he comes in at number 58 on the Baseball America list as well. Taj Bradley, one of these guys that really came out of nowhere this year and had an incredible season, the best season for a pitcher in this Rays minor league system, and someone that I think Rays fans should really start to get excited about moving forward. Absolutely. Taj Bradley looks looks like the real deal. There has been um, just numerous glowing reports of him from his season this year. And another guy who... Um, it's interesting because the, the 2020 season with no minor league games was probably a, you know, an, an area where he made a large improvement and none of us really were able to see it um, except the Rays themselves. So it was great to see him just jump out, just come out of the gates, just striking everybody out, throwing a ton of strikes. His stuff is great. I, I believe he's got a really strong mid nineties four seam with good carry um, just that really nice typical raised fastball mold that they're they're always targeting and, and a sharp mid 80 slider to go with it i mean they the rays are all over pitchers that have a strong like fastball slider foundation and kind of will like do tweaks off of that um but it's, he just seems like a a guy that, the, that is all about the rays and, and the rays are all about him I, i'm excited to see um I, he'll probably get some starts in double a next year and i believe at the end of next year he will be rule five eligible um, which means that he's going to be needed to be added to the roster. So, and I would, I have every expectation that they will add him. I mean, his season was so good and I expect him to, to pitch well again next year. So um, I don't think that he is like necessarily close to the big leagues, but um, I think that he probably will get honored with a 40 man addition at the end of the year. Yeah. He might even start the year at double a, he made eight starts in high eight and the season and it was just absolutely incredible. When I had Cole Wilcox and Nick Schnell, two other raised prospects on the podcast, they, you know, wax poetic about the, the type of guy he is the type of player is the work he puts in and literally in the type of season he had you know it was one of the best seasons in all of minor league baseball and very well deserved to be on these top 100 lists and to be surging up uh the Rays farm system this this coming season the last one another guy kind of came out of nowhere he comes in at number 94 on the athletic list and 97 on the baseball america list he is Curtis Mead out of Australia and just another guy the race just got in one of these trades. You're not expecting anything out of him, but now 
you know, you're thinking maybe in a year or two, you start to look at him as a major league baseball player. What can you tell me about Curtis Mead? Yep, I'm a I'm a huge fan of Curtis Mead. I think his bat is really special. And I would probably go as far to say that Curtis Mead is the best pure hitter in the Rays farm system. I think that the combination of his contact skills and his power stroke is is really rare to see from any minor leaguer. Um, there were reports out of the Arizona Fall League that he was hitting balls at like 112 miles per hour, and he was only 20 years old in that league, I'm pretty sure. So, I mean, that's just a special talent. And for a guy with such a short, compact stroke and who's able to limit strikeouts at the level he does, to hit balls that hard in conjunction with that is, is just a special hitter, and it's just not something that you see in minor league baseball very often. Kind of the last the last thing that he needs to do to his profile to make him a complete hitter is uh, probably try to lay off pitches out of the zone a little bit better as his walk rates have been pretty low in the minors so far. But I mean, honestly, with the, the contact and power foundation that he has, that seems like something that um, that is just kind of it's like gravy if he can fix that you know i think that this is a major league hitter in the weight and waiting in the wings and um you know if he's able to even add some more discipline on top of on top of this these skills that he's present he's already got presently then i don't know this guy's gonna be this guy's gonna be a really good major league hitter i, I think uh, i think that there's some really high expectations for him another guy that got his little cup of coffee in triple a like alika williams played four games there and hit a home run while he was there. So I uh, got a chance to, to play with the juice ball for a little bit and knocked one out of the park. But yeah, just another player. The Rays got him in a trade with the Phillies. They traded left-handed pitcher Christopher Sanchez to acquire him. And I look at those trades, and we've seen a few of them now that just look like just real steals for the Rays. And I have to wonder, what are these GMs? What are these front offices? Why are they even picking up the phone when the Rays call and ask for one of their seemingly random minor league baseball players? If if I'm a GM and I see Eric Neander or someone from the Rays front office ask me about uh, Curtis Mead, who played was a rookie ball player for the Phillies, I am immediately hanging up and keeping keeping that player because it just seems to never work out for the teams that trade these guys to the Rays. Right. Yeah, I think the Rays do a really good job in these trades at making offers that kind of like shock the other teams. And, and it's kind of weird because the right because like almost like the large percentage of raised trades when they first break, at least for me, my instant reaction is like, wait, hold on. Did I read that right? Like it almost seems lopsided in the other team's favor, but more often than not, it actually works out in the raised favor. It's kind of weird that they're able to like find such a, like an equilibrium of like being lower on their own player and like so much higher on the player they're acquiring. And it like works out all the time. The best example of this is, in my opinion, is the Arena for Libertor trade. Mm -hmm. Like Arena, he was an older player, kind of just crushing the ball in AAA. The Cardinals saw him as a fourth outfielder. They trade a, a first round pick who's like a top 50 prospect everywhere in Matt Libertor. But it turns out the Rays just kind of see Libertor as the back end guy and a Rosarena as the star where it's like flip flopped in the industry. And so far, obviously, there's a lot of years to go on that trade. But like that's just another example of, of just a situation where they kind of really took a big bet on their evaluations. And it's turned out to be pretty right so far. Yeah, that trade broke. And it's like, what, we traded Matthew Libertor to get Jose Martinez? Right? And then yeah, right. Like, exactly. You, you exactly. You Randy or Rosarena and you think, OK, this guy could probably be a big league starter. And not only is he that, he is uh, you know already becoming one of the best postseason players <laughs> right. in all of baseball. The other one, the other 
Oh, I was just going to say, to bring that full circle, I'm pretty sure Alika Williams, who we just touched on, was the comp pick that they actually got back in that tra- in that very oh trade, God. too. So <laughs> we're, we're, hitting it, we're hitting on it all. Uh, yeah, and then the, the other one is like Pete Fairbanks for Nick Solak. Like, you know, Same that was the guy. Thing, yep. You're thinking he could be the race second baseman very, very soon. He was killing it, and then all of a sudden you'd flip him for a reliever that the Rays had just, like, knocked for a few runs a couple weeks before in the big leagues, was going back down to AAA, and now he is your closer, right? Like, he is your best reliever in this bullpen, and, uh, you know, as long as he stays healthy, I think he'll he'll stay one of those top relievers. So, yeah, keep trusting those valuations and keep bringing in more Curtis Meads and more Randy Rosarena's, and I'll take as many (laughs) as I can get. So we're going to take a quick break, and on the other side, we're going to talk about a recent article that Cole wrote on DRaceBay.com about some more pitching prospects in the race system. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back on Raise Your Voice. Before we get into Cole's article from DRaceBay.com that dives a little bit deeper into pitching prospects, we've got a couple more questions from Twitter. Another one from Ben Whitelaw uh, saying, obviously the strikeouts are an issue. He's, uh, parentheses, sitting at just over 30% for his career so far. But what does Matt Dyer's path to the majors look like? Already 23 and hasn't played above A ball yet. But the tools and versatility are interesting. So for those who aren't aware, Matt Dyer was the catcher slash corner infielder that the Rays got back with Tommy Hunter in exchange for Rich Hill last season. So yeah, interesting player, age 23 in A ball. So probably a little older than all the other players in his league. But Cole, what are your thoughts on Matt Dyer as a prospect? Yeah, it was an interesting trade because um, the Rays were trading Rich Hill as like a you know, he was making starts every fifth day and, and pitching pretty well. And, and they just kind of moved him at the deadline for a 23-year-old in, in the low levels of the minors. Um, so it was a little bit perplexing at first. But um, like we were just talking about, the Rays in these trades, he comes right over and just hits hits the crap out of the ball. He's just um, He had his best like couple months of the season after getting over here. And um, he showed some interesting tools. Uh, like Ben said, there are some strikeout concerns. But I think it's an athletic profile with some versatility. I think he played, yeah, like you said, catcher infield and maybe even some outfield too um it, with the rays after coming over um so so maybe it's a situation where they're just kind of betting on um the athleticism and the versatility and maybe hoping to fix some of the, the holes in the swing later um but i think there's some power there and, and if he can really catch you know he, he may be able to be an interesting prospect um if he continues to hit in the upper minors yeah looking at his game breakdown he had eight starts behind the play this is when he got over the rays Five starts at first base, two starts at third base, four starts in left, one start in center, and four starts in right. So that he's 6'4", 185, so an interesting build um, and, a, and a very interesting prospect. Yeah, the strikeouts are an issue, but it seems like the power's there. But, I mean, what's going to happen when he gets a double-A or triple-A? Like, I wouldn't count on Matt Dyer to be helping the Rays anytime soon, but maybe as he, you know, as he gets up a system, maybe figure, put something together. Maybe there's a missing piece. Maybe a hitting coach finds a hole in a swing and all of a sudden he's translating that power and, and, and not striking out as much, putting more balls in play. 
uh, but an interesting prospect. And then the next one from Jacob Larson, which top 10 raise prospect do you feel gets overrated? And Jacob's got a second part to that question that I think we're kind of going to answer when we get to the raise your voice segment to wrap up the show. But Cole, uh, Jacob asks, which top 10 raise prospect do you feel is overrated? So, you know, we don't want to be too harsh to any of the guys in the on the race, in the race system, but is there a player that maybe gets a lot of love that you're not as high on? Yeah. Um, so the player I'm going to talk about, I don't know if he's like a unanimous top 10 prospect um, anywhere, but it is a guy who they, they acquired, um, fairly recently and um he he has gotten some love on some reports i believe Fangraphs is is specifically pretty high on him and that is heriberto hernandez um if you don't remember this was the prospect kind of the main piece that came back in the nate low trade and i kind of wanted to talk about him and not that i that i hate him or think that he's like a bad prospect or anything i think that there's definitely interesting things going on with him but the overall profile to me is a bit of a risky one. Um, and that is he's never played above low A. So this was his first year in low A. And he absolutely crushed rookie ball with the Rangers, by the way. But this season he was in low A with, with the Rays. And strikeouts were a little bit of a concern. Um, they were high up around near 30%. And while overall, like if you look at his his weighted runs created plus and like OPS and like overall hitting stats, they're going to look okay. But I think a little bit of it was inflated by by a, a walk rate that was like abnormally high. And I don't doubt that he has good pitch recognition skills, but um, it, his walk rates were up around like 15% or so. And, and that just doesn't seem like maybe something that's sustainable as the pitching gets better when he moves up in the minors. So it's kind of like a three true outcomes profile uh, in a player who doesn't have much defensive value at all. So I believe he was trying to catch for the Rangers, but I don't know if the Rays caught him at all this year. So I think he was just playing left field um, and a player who has some contact issues, who's slated for corner outfield spot in the longer term. A player like that is really going to have to hit to even be a major leaguer. Um, so I just wanted to kind of highlight him because I think there's some risk in the profile and, um, you know, maybe he shuts me up and just absolutely mashes this year because there are some interesting things going on with his bat. That's certainly in the realm of possibilities, but I think that overall that uh, it wouldn't totally shock me if he kind of falls off, if, if he has another year that looks like this past one. Yeah. You know, I think if he gets to the big leagues, he's probably a DH, right? Like he's not a great field. Like the, there's a reason they're putting him in left. Uh, it, it, maybe though, Hey, maybe robot ups come into play. And all That's of a true. sudden the other parts of, I, I don't know what was so poor about his catching that the Rays didn't even give him a shot there. Uh, but maybe if it was framing, maybe if it was something else, maybe robot ups gets another position. Um, but yeah, I think a guy that the bat really exciting, but how does he project um, as he moves through the system is a little bit interesting. Again, another guy going into his age 22 season, what's he going to do? And uh, yeah, I think those are some good questions. I want to start in, uh, implementing some more uh, fan questions either on Twitter. You guys can DM me if you have any questions for the show uh, and or, or in the D-Race Bay comment section whenever I post these as an article. I think that would be great. So uh, Cole, let's move into... One of your more recent articles on DRaceBay.com, three Rays minor league pitchers to watch, and they're prospects that we have not talked about yet, guys that maybe flew under the radar a little bit this year, but guys that you're high on. So I want to start with Jaden Murray. Tell me about Jaden Murray. Yeah, Jaden Murray is a pitcher in the upper levels of the minors, and I believe he was picked really late in, um, I want to say the 2019 draft, like a really late round pick out of college. He was already an older player, and all he's done is just, 
perform at every stop in the minors. He throws a ton of strikes, just pounds the zone. And while he doesn't get like a ton of strikeouts, his stuff is not like amazing or anything. Um, it's, I think it's pretty interesting on the reports and the video I've, I've watched and seen, I think there's a fastball there. That's got some good arm side run that kind of comes from a low slot. It's like a, a little bit of an interesting profile with a good sweeping slider and a changeup with some fade. Like there's some three, there's some interesting qualities on all three pitches there. And I think that when you kind of combine, um, the interesting pitch mix with the great command and also the great minor league results to this point, um, you've, you've got a, a prospect who probably should be should have should be given more credit than he really has. I don't think he's ranked on any raised top 30 anywhere. I mean, it's hard to even find like reports or video on him um, in general. But I mean, the guy just keeps performing. I think he, he may even start the year in AAA this year. Um, and if you're performing well in AAA, you know, you're you're one stop away from the big club. So, you know, I think that it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting profile. And I think he is rule five eligible at the end of the year too. So that'll be another interesting decision to watch. Yeah. You're gonna have to keep an eye on him. And, and again, the Rays have so many of these guys, and even if they don't project, and they do have a lot of guys that do project as big leaguers, but even these guys that are just really damn good minor league pitchers. That leads to so much winning at the minor league level. And it's like the, all these staffs, you just look at the numbers and they're all just stacked. And and, and Jade Murray, I'm not saying that he's not, you know, not big league caliber, but uh, the strikeout rate was, was, was awesome this year at AAA. Again, another guy whose strikeout rate went up from his, uh, when he went from high A to, to not AAA, to double A rather. Um, in those eight starts in Double A, the walks stayed about the same. They went up a tick, uh, but all the other numbers looked really good. And a guy that had a lot of success. And yeah, maybe it's a little bit shocking that he hasn't started to shoot up uh, these lists yet. I don't think he's come in on. Let me look at the community list for DRaceBay.com. Um, I believe he is on the ballot now. Maybe not. Yeah, Jaden Murray not listed on the top 23, and he's not listed as a candidate. So who knows uh, when he'll make that list, if he does at all. Uh, but an interesting prospect nonetheless. The next guy, I'm I'm, I'm very intrigued by this pitcher. And you and I kind of messaged back and forth a little bit about him. Uh, I'll, I'll mention it in a second. One former uh, Rays player that he reminded me of, at least just in his delivery and some of his stuff. Uh, but let's talk about left-handed pitcher Antonio Jimenez. Yeah, Jimenez is, he is different than Murray in that he's actually really young. Um, while Murray is kind of an older prospect, Jimenez is still 20. And he's actually been in the Rays organization for a little while as an international signing. Um, but in 2021, he got his first taste of uh, of low A and he, he performed pretty well there. He was striking out batters at a pretty good clip. And um a really good performance in the complex league this year too. I just think it's another example of a, of a raised pitcher with a really interesting arsenal, like three, three strong pitches, like solid average or even above average pitches and kind of similar to Murray in that he, he, he's able to throw strikes really well and just kind of repeat his commit his mechanics. And he's, he's like a super athletic, like small twitchy guy on the mound um, who's gotten some good write-ups on some various sites so far. So he is, he is definitely like kind of the furthest from the majors, kind of like the deepest sleeper, if you will, um, on this list because of how young he is and, and the inexperience there. But I'm really looking forward to seeing what he has to show us next year. You know, he maybe could even start in, in high A um, 
you know, maybe more likely to start in low A, but he should get a full season of the minors under his belt. And I, I would expect him to pitch pretty well and maybe pop onto the back of some, some prospect list by the end of the year. The guy that I was referring to, former race pitcher, and this is by no means a player comp uh, in terms of like his ceiling or anything, but just the the smaller frame, the delivery, some of the stuff that he has reminds me of a uh, Devil Rays Scott Casimir. And again, I'm not a prospect evaluator. Do not quote me and say Brett Rutherford thinks that he's the next Scott Casimir, that he's going to be a strikeout king at the big league level. But I was just watching some of these clips that you were able to find, a lot of them on TikTok of uh, of Antonio Jimenez uh, from a YouTube video that you added to that article. And just looking at the, a guy that size, the way he pitches, reminded me of Scott Casimir. Hey, it would be great if he became Scott Casimir, who still pitched in the big leagues this year. For like that was first off without going on too much of a tangent, I almost cried watching Scott Casimir, who was like my favorite childhood pitcher, uh, pitch in the big leagues now that I'm 22 years old after winning you know a silver medal pitching alongside uh, Shane Boz at the Olympics and then coming back and pitching in the big leagues. That was incredible. So yeah, that was just uh, something that caught my eye. You know, Scott Casimir was probably like a hair under six feet. Antonio Jimenez probably five ten, five eleven, depending on you know where you see him listed. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's a, it's another interesting prospect. The next one, though, I think this one, he's a, he's a guy that's had you know, a, a little bit more exposure uh, with national outlets, a guy that's popped up on, on, on some lists, including came in at number 22 on the D-Race Bay community prospect list, and that is right-handed pitcher Sandy Gas, Gaston. And uh, every time I say his name, I think of uh, the, the Disney character, Beauty and the Beast. I, like, sing the song in my head. Uh, but Cole... I'm excited about Sandy Gaston. I was excited the few clips, the few games I got to watch him pitch in the minors this year. But why should everybody else be excited about him? Yeah, uh, Gaston, he really represents like the the exact type of arm that has thrived in this system in the past. Um, when you kind of look at pitchers with huge stuff, like we were talking about earlier with Shane Boz, uh, you got a guy who just broke through in the majors, Shane McClanahan, even someone like Tyler Glass now coming over. All these guys can like touch 100 miles an hour with like wipeout breaking balls. And Gaston has the same like the same kind of uh, repertoire. He's up, been up to 100 in minor league games and um, he's got a, a hard slider and a changeup. Um, the Rays have kind of cleaned up his mechanics. He was another international signing and um, really kind of had his first full year or I don't even know if it was a full year, but first like um, considerable year in the minors and he was uh strikeouts came pouring in the stuff was wild it was wild and uh, people minor league hitters were struggling to hit it but the thing with him we'll we'll just come back to command he's still got a ways to to go way too many walks at this um point still but um he's still super young you know there's no no real rush no reason to rush him in his development and um, the Rays have fixed this type of prospect many, many times before. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it seems like they've already made some adjustments with them. So I'm not sure why I can't, I can't keep improving from here. I mean, the guy we talked about to open the show, Shane Boz, came into the Rays system with a lot of command issues. And all of a sudden, like he's just dot in the corner, but still with those high velo numbers. Sandy Gaston is a guy that I think, uh, yeah, he, he's not going to be a, a prospect unless he really puts it together that is going to skyrocket up these lists, I think, because of those command issues. And you look at some of the way these guys, uh, these, these outlets grade prospects. But if he does put it together, 
then my God, this is going to be uh, one hell of a player, Sandy Gaston. That that fastball is electric, and I think it's something that, you know, you, you might not count on him to be a big league starter or even a big league reliever, but to watch him progress, see what he's capable of is something that if you're a race fan that likes to follow the minors or want to start following the minors, I'd keep an eye on this guy. Like I, that, That's a guy personally me that, that i would i would keep an eye on we're going to take one more quick break and on the other side cole is going to raise his voice about who the next taj bradley and curtis mead will be in this raise system and we're back on raise your voice cole uh we talked about taj bradley curtis mead breaking their way into some of these top 100 prospect lists and i'm sure they'll be on at least a couple more as some of these other outlets get ready to release their list ahead of the season. But I'm curious because Taj Bradley, Curtis Mead, they kind of came out of nowhere. We've talked about some other uh, maybe under-the-radar guys from that article you posted. I'm curious. We'll start with the pitchers. Who's going to be this year's Taj Bradley? He's not on any list now, or if he is on a list, it's way at the bottom of a raised list, but could find his way on a top 100 list come midseason or 2023. Yep, it's a great question. And um, the name I'm going to mention here is Lefty Ian Seymour. Um, and he is, he's starting to creep up, uh, raise list for sure. Um, because he really did come out and have an, an extremely impressive 2021 season. Um, but I still don't think he's really in any top tens anywhere for the race. Um, and he, and that's mainly just because he hasn't like pitched a whole lot, um, because he was drafted and then we had the shortened season. So this was kind of like his first, like really substantial season with innings and he just absolutely dominated. He, he started off in the low levels of the minors with huge strikeout rates, was throwing strikes too. I think his stuff is excellent. It's like a fastball slider change up mix, or um, I think he has even maybe a few breaking balls. All of them um, are, they just jump off the page. It's like mid nineties with like a big sweeping slider and a, and a wipeout change up. And it, he's kind of got like a little bit of a, a whiplashy like delivery it's kind of like a, a violent motion if you will but um so maybe that's something that that, that they may need to tweak or that maybe it would hinder the amount of innings he's able to throw in a season i'm not a not a mechanical expert or anything but it's just something that i've noticed and uh but one thing i can tell you is the stuff is loud and the, the pitching um the, just the pitch ability that he's shown and he's kind of like a like if you ever watch some of his highlights google his name on twitter he's kind of like a freak on the mound he he like struts around the mound and like talks to himself and stuff he just he just got like a little bit of a bulldog mentality and it just really wouldn't shock me at all to see him land on top 100 lists next year with the stuff that he possesses um if he's able to stay healthy and stay um starting games all year i think he could jump to the upper levels of the minors and um and yeah, just be a, a, a big part of the, the race system and even jump onto some top hundred lists. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see where he starts the season at. So we had those two starts at AAA, but we knew there was some movement around there. Like maybe it'll be dependent on where Shane Boz and Tommy Romero are pitching a lot. Like you need those if you want him to be a starter, you need those spots in a rotation. So maybe he hasn't pitched in double A at all yet. So maybe you start him at double A, maybe he fits into that rotation a little better. Pitching with guys like Doc Zakis or um, Michael Mercado, who I know has had some good stuff in the past. Um, but if if uh, Ian Seymour keeps it up, yeah, I think that's a guy. He is starting to creep up some raise lists, but maybe by midseason or next year, depending on the guys that graduate off the top 100, he can slot right in. And yeah, maybe you know he's skyrocketing up this raise system. Maybe a little bit of Virginia Tech bias from Eric Neander. Ray's got Seymour out of Vatek back in 2020. Um, so yeah, definitely a pitcher I'm, I'm uh, looking at, keeping an eye on, and. 
uh, that violent motion, though, like, yeah, maybe there's, is he going to be able to be a guy that can throw 150 innings? They've kind of played it safe with him. He didn't pitch in 2020. I don't even think he was at the alternate site after he was drafted. I don't know if anybody in that Rays draft class was in 2020. Um, so I don't know what, you know, what type of development he had there. And you know they're always going to play it safe with their pitchers, but Ian Seymour, definitely exciting name. I like that you threw that one out there. He deserves to be talked about. Let's move over to the position player side of things. So Curtis Mead, we talked about him. Got, Ray's got him in a, in a pretty, uh, what seemed at the time, an irrelevant trade, and he turned into a top 100 prospect. Who's going to be the next Curtis Mead? Yeah, so, so this one is, a, I think it's actually a really interesting comparison because the trade that brought Mead to Tampa Bay was it was a minor trade. They traded a, a left-handed reliever who was Rule 5 eligible, who basically the Rays didn't have room to put on their roster. They traded him to the Phillies. The Phillies gave them a really young player in return that obviously the Rays liked. That was Mead. The Rays actually did something extremely similar to that, again, in this offseason when they traded Tobias Myers to Cleveland, another pitcher who was Rule 5 eligible, and um, they just ultimately decided that they weren't going to have room for him, and they'd rather um, see what they could get in trade. And the player that they returned in trade for him was a young infielder named Junior Caminero, um, who came over from Cleveland. Like me, he was extremely young, super tooled up. Um, the bat is the carrying tool, just like me. He plays infield, and um, he he has worked out at shortstop, but um, I think he's only like 18 right now. So, you know, a lot of the players are going to just start at shortstop, and then as they continue to play, they're going to go wherever their glove dictates they belong. So, so he may be listed at shortstop on some sites, but generally most of the reports on Caminero are that he's a bat-first player and that the glove may profile more – um, as a third baseman or maybe even as a first baseman if he's not able to make as many plays as initially thought. So, um, but as for the bat, I'm, I'm extremely excited about the bat. He played um, in the Dominican Summer League with Cleveland this year, and he absolutely tore up the league. Like, he had a, a super low strikeout rate. He was walking at a good clip. There was BABIP skills. There was a ton of power. I think he was one of the league leaders in slugging percentage. Um, if you watch his swing, there's just some ridiculous bat speed and torque in the swing just that can lead to a ton of pop. Like this, this guy's a polished hitter at such a young age. Um, so, you know, it, it was the Dominican summer league. So the competition is, is questionable at times possibly and, and some of the pitching and whatnot. So it's definitely going to be um, interesting to see how he performs in minor league ball um, if he can get there. But I just think the bat, everything that I've read and I've seen and um, in the stats that he was able to put together with the, the hit tool, I think that he will be playing in low A at some point this year. I think the bat's going to be too good and, and he'll it'll force him up the ladder. Yeah, fifth of that DSL at 534. Um, but only one other 17-year-old was ahead of him, and that was Carlos Jorge from the Cincinnati organization. And so, yeah, yeah, maybe it's you know the competition isn't as great there, but for a 17-year-old, seemed to be outpacing a lot of the same people in his in his at his age. And you look at some of the, the the few clips that there are out there of him, and you're like, this guy's got it. You know, maybe he's need you know, still gonna he's 18, so we don't want to put a lot of pressure on him. He's still a kid, uh, but. This is a player, again, another trade where it's like, yeah, the Rays saw this guy, and I had no idea what Cleveland was thinking, saying, sure, have him, right? Um, but here we are, and he's a guy that I think, yeah, by the end of next year, if he puts up another big season, whatever level he's at, because he's still young enough, we're like playing rookie ball and tear it up, and you don't want to rush him through the minors, a player that is going to shoot up a lot of boards soon. Yeah, I think that 
when you you mentioned he was fifth or top five in slugging percentage. In slugging, uh, yeah. Yeah, so I think when you kind of look at those slugging percentage leaderboards too, there aren't going to be many players who have K rates as low as he had, which I think is really when it gets impressive, when he's able to combine uh, contact skills, plate discipline skills, and power. Just like he really looks like the whole package as much as a 17-year-old can look. So I'm really excited about him. And one other note I wanted to make is um, recently on Neil Solon's raised – radio network prod podcast he recently had um kevin eibach from the rays of front office in there and he was kind of talking about the trade and eibach said that um they felt that Caminero was a player who will be possibly unacquirable a year from now and they would rather kind of be a year too early rather than a year late on a player with that much talent so the rays obviously have have high aspirations for him and um, I think that he's got just some some great tools, and there's huge potential for him to leap high up prospect list very soon. Yeah, wrapping up the show, I think that's a great point. You mentioned earlier the Rays taking a, a gamble, right, on on some of these players really early on, and I'm, and I want to try my best not to dehumanize any of these prospects, but you know, taking these these lottery tickets here and there, even a guy like Heriberto Hernandez, he might not be as high on. Even you can recognize that the bat's there, right? If he can find a spot in the field or the Absolutely. bat continues to keep it up. He's, he's, he's a stock you'd like to buy into, right? These players um, that the Rays single out. And I think as a player, that's got to be like a really great honor. You know, we've talked about it on the pitching side a lot. You look at Brooks Raley mention the Rays as the mecca of pitching. But it's like for a prospect to see this organization that churns out so much talent, be interested in them, single them out, you know, pick up the phone, call your team and say, I want that guy. That's a huge like vote of confidence for these players. And I'm sure it's something that, that they don't lose sight of. Um, and Kevin Arrow, yeah, I, I, I love that pick a lot. He's a guy that if a lot of Rays fans, even the ones that follow prospects, if they don't know who he is, they're going to know very, very soon. He looks like a, a, a stud of a player. Yeah, absolutely. So those, those are my, my, my two picks. I don't know if they'll, they'll end up on top 100 lists like next year exactly. If I were to, if, if I were to say... Uh, if I were to guess on one of them, I would say Seymour actually probably ha- has the potential just because he's got a little bit further along. And um, if he just if he has like a stellar year at double A, I don't really see a reason to, to hold him back from a top 100 list or anything like that. But Caminero, maybe uh, since he's just so young, maybe like two years away until he starts really getting some public uh, some notice there. But still super high on those guys. And I think the potential is through through the roof. Cole, first off, thank you very much for coming back on. You always bring great stuff. And, you know, on DRaysBay.com, we mentioned that you already had that top three pitching prospects article that we talked about today. But for those who haven't read it, please go check it out. And there might be a piece in the future here with going into some under-the-radar position player prospects, some of which we might have covered today, some of which maybe not. So, uh, Cole, what can you tell us about that? Well, I know it's still in the works a little bit. Yeah, just, um, you know, as the lockout's going on, just it's a great time to look into to prospects and kind of build out your personal draft board and write write-ups and things like that so uh yeah but i'm gonna keep producing content on d rays bay and definitely uh, you know find my twitter account at raise metrics i tweet out all the links when they come out and you know definitely keep reading d rays bay website um so because I, I think there'll be some interesting content coming soon Awesome. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Raise Your Voice. Like Cole and I both mentioned, if you're not reading DRaysBay.com during this lockout, I don't know what you're doing. we got tons of great content and tons of great content on the DRays Bay Podcast Network. We just dropped another new episode of Who's On Worst, where we reviewed Mr. 3000 starting Bernie Mac, and it honestly wasn't as terrible as I think we were expecting. It was actually a, a charming movie with a nice little ending with the late, great Bernie Mac. Uh, so go watch Mr. 3000 and then turn on the newest episode 
episode of Who's On Worst. If you like what we do on the D-Rays Bay Podcast Network, leaving a rating and a review on Spotify now takes ratings. That's a huge help to try to spread our podcast to more and more Rays fans. And on Apple Podcasts, you can leave a review as well. I will read them off on the show if you leave a review. So thank you, everyone, for your support, and I'll talk to you next week. Thank you.